Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed Podcast today. And we have a very special guest today calling in from California. He's a journalist. He's an author. He's been around the reporting game for a pretty long time. Mr. Rick Leventhal. How you doing, Rick? Hey, John. Good morning. It's early here in Orange County, Newport Beach. Pleasure to be with you. I know you have a book, a new book you uh, have coming out, and uh, it's uh, Chasing Catastrophe. Yes, <laughs> Looking at your career and understanding your career and, you know, when you were a reporter in war, you know, what did that feel like? You know, what was the drive to do that when you were in Kuwait such a long time reporting? Where does that come from? You know, I was at Ground Zero when when both towers fell on 9-11. Being there and experiencing that firsthand, the, the terror, the the suffering, the, the awful impact on the city I called home and on this country, it uh, angered me and inspired me to do all I could to try to help cover the cause, cover the story, follow the journey of the service members who were going overseas to try and uh, bring the fight to the enemy, to try and find the people who were responsible. Whether or not we went to the right places, I don't know, but it was my job and my honor and my uh, responsibility, I felt, to tell the stories of the men and women who were doing the fighting for America. And so that's why I went to Bahrain in 2001, a couple months after 9-11, and wound up in Afghanistan with the first group of journalists embedded with Marines. And that's why I went to Iraq in 2003 and, and went back to both countries several times, uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, to cover the, the war on terror and to cover the stories of, of the Marines and others who were, who were doing the heavy lifting. It was an incredible journey and an, an incredible experience and an honor, again, for me to, to be there on the front lines. I always wanted to be where the action was in my career and being on the front lines of a war to me was the epitome and the pinnacle of being a journalist. Now, did you have any fear at all going into these types of opportunities? I mean, I know because fears would, yeah. I would think fear would play a big role doing something like this. Everyone told me that, that the fear is you, you need to embrace that fear. You need to have some fear because that keeps you on your toes. And I certainly was scared more than once. Um, we also got bored because sometimes war is boring, you know, and you sit there for, for two or three days waiting for resupplies or, or waiting for, for the next orders to come in. I was embedded with 3rd LAR Marines who were, they call themselves the tip of the spear, and they were out front probing enemy defenses, um, finding safe lanes of travel for follow-on troops. And, you know, we were sometimes out front alone, and it was scary. And we drove into an ambush, and that's that's in my book, uh, Chasing Catastrophe, where we drove into an ambush. For 45 minutes, we were in a full-on firefight against hundreds of enemy fighters, and, you know, the Marines were amazing. And they took care of those fighters and suffered no casualties. You know, again, it was uh, it, it was scary. And sometimes, John, the, the biggest fear was the fear of the unknown, like just driving down a road, wondering if something was going to blow up. And it could be perfectly quiet. And you'd see a little pile of trash and everything would come to a stop because they worried that there might be a roadside bomb up ahead. Now, did you know before 
before 9-11 that this is the path you would take? I mean, was the 9-11, was that the, the epiphany moment where you said, I have to do this and represent my career the way I want to represent it? Was that the epiphany moment? I always wanted to be where the action was. I always had my hand yeah. up when something happened, when news broke, I wanted to be the first out the door. Uh, but 9-11 was certainly a, a pivotal moment for me because it touched me in so many ways, just like so many Americans. If you, re if you remember back in 2001, how the whole country came together and it's so different today. Everything's so fractured and people just don't seem to like each other very much. And if you're on one side, then you're then you can't join the other side. And, you know, the, the parties are fractured and the people are fractured and the, the, the networks are all telling different stories. But back then we all felt like we all came together. You know, we all united in a common cause and a common goal. And it was my job to get out in front and and tell the stories uh, of the people who were again, who were doing the fighting. And uh, yeah, that was a pivotal moment for me, and I, I embraced it. When you look at media today and and understanding what media represents from your position and being behind the camera, do you think we've lost, and I'm kind of touching on something you said in that last answer, do you think we've lost value or res we don't re respect value as much in the media? What do you think has changed, you know, based on – you know, then and now? Well, I, I just think that people have picked sides you know, and won't listen to the other side anymore. And, mm -hmm. and I think that people are um, putting their priorities in the wrong place. Uh, I think that uh, there's a lot less willingness to, to listen to opposing voices. Uh, as far as value is concerned, uh, it's a tough question. Uh, I just know that I'm disappointed in the way things have gone. I'm disappointed in the way uh, that re reporters and networks are, are choosing to cover stories these days. I'm really disappointed in how many stories are being buried or suppressed or censored because of big corporations or government deciding that the public shouldn't hear that story or doesn't deserve to know the truth. And I've never seen anything like that before. So I would say that my biggest concern about where things stand today is more about a censorship and suppression than anything else. How do we improve that? How do we get better? You know, how does someone get yeah, back into the system and, and, and change that? Well, that's a great question. And, and I wish I had an answer for you. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'd like to think that people will demand the truth. And people will, will stand up and start refusing to, to accept the censorship and the suppression. I hope that people will start watching the channels that, that don't do that, the channels that are providing real news and real stories. But it's a tough situation, you know, like people watch what they want to the store, the news channels that they want to hear, the, the stories they want to hear, the, the, the framing of it that they that they expect. And they're not, I don't think, getting the full story anymore. And that's one of the things I talk about in my book, uh, Chasing Catastrophe. I, I just about how journalism should be should work, uh, about the way stories should be told. Um, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff in here about stuff that I experienced over my 35 years as a senior correspondent out in the field covering the craziness it's uh there's a lot that happens uh in the in news gathering that people don't know about and that's what I, I tried to pull the curtain back on that and what does that give me an example what does that behind the curtain look like you know when you're there in the moment and trying to prepare for your job i'll give you an example just just off the top of my head i used to cover a lot of hurricanes 
dozens of them. And I would always have my hand up to go where the storm was expected to hit. And we would we would fly to a region. We would rent the biggest suburban they had at the at the Hertz lot. We would go to the first Walmart and Target we could find and load it up with supplies. And then we would drive straight to where the storm was expected to hit. And every other vehicle on the road was going the opposite way. And we were driving to where where we thought things would be the worst. As officials were telling everyone, get out, we were going in. And to me, it just, it always struck me as being so counterintuitive and so odd and so crazy that we would go where we weren't supposed to go and then try to find a safe place to report from and then tell everyone, don't come here while we're standing there waiting for the storm to hit. I mean, that's pretty nuts. You know, if you think about the rationale of that, you know, you're telling people, hey, don't come to this area, but we're going to go dive deep in the area. What, I mean, what's going through your mind at that time? And then and then we're on camera getting whipped by the wind and, and, and drenched by the rains. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We keep a lot of emotions bundled up inside in life, and sometimes we got to talk to people. I witnessed the benefits with my own two eyes. I have a close friend that was struggling with depression and felt like she had no one she could consistently talk to because of her busy schedule. She was matched with a therapist through BetterHelp. After several months of sessions, I've seen a tremendous change in her personality and in her life. If you're needing therapy and, and want to get some of those things off your chest, it's entirely online and designed to conveniently work around your schedule and empower you to be the best version of yourself. Just fill out a questionnaire and they will align you with the right therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com unimpressed today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash unimpressed. Telling people, whatever you do, don't go outside and don't don't do what I'm doing while I'm doing it and mm -hmm. telling them not to do it. Um, it was um, pretty silly. But at the same time, you know, I loved hurricanes. I loved being in that environment. They're, they're exciting and they're, you know, Mother Nature at her worst, our fiercest. And it just, it was an adrenaline rush. So for me, it was really, um, it was really fun and exciting and cool. But obviously it wasn't when damage was done and people got hurt. It was our goal to give the viewers as much a taste of it as possible so they wouldn't be tempted to go out in it. But at the same time, not not get hurt ourselves so that we could do our job for day after day. Now, your mom and dad, your mom and dad, you said you're from uh, Kentucky. 
Now, what part of Kentucky growing up were you at in? Oh, I was um, I was born in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. My dad was in the Army, and he was only based there for a couple of years. So when I was six months old, we left Fort Campbell and went to Maryland. And I grew up in the D.C. area, first in College Park and then Silver Spring. My dad became a, a college professor. He was a psychologist. Uh, so I, I was raised by uh, by a psychologist. My mom was a social worker in a, in a really nice suburb in Silver Spring. But uh, I became a bad kid, you know, and I, and I did a lot of stuff I shouldn't have done. And, you know, they got really frustrated with me. And eventually they kicked me out of the house when I dropped out of college a couple of times. And that's a, that's a big chapter in my book, John, is where I talk about uh, lessons that I learned along the way, including of trying to get my act together. And and it t- I tell the story of how I became a journalist, of how, you know, it was only after hanging and mm-hmm. finishing sheetrock for a couple of years and working in bars and struggling on my own that I decided that I could probably find a better path and could do more with my life. And not that there's anything wrong with hanging and finishing sheetrock, because I still do it to this day. I'll patch a wall if there's a hole in it. I have my tools. I know how to do it. Um, but I knew that I could do something else. And I went back to college and finally discovered journalism and realized that that was what I was meant to do. And I I guess the message in my book and in that chapter is that anyone can chase their dreams. Anyone can achieve what they want to achieve, even if it's completely different from what they're doing right now, as long as they put their mind to it and their heart into it and their soul into it. You know, this is an incredible world with incredible opportunities, and we just have to be willing and able to to reach out and grab it. Now, how old were you when you pulled it together? Uh, I was in my mid-20s. I guess I was like 23 when I went back to junior college, you know, I dro- I went to Lafayette College at 18 right out of high school and I dropped out after a year and I went to work doing construction for a year. I went to the University of Maryland for a semester and dropped out again. Uh, at that point, I had a grade point average of 0.27, which I'm very proud of because uh, it was almost as bad as you can get without completely flunking out. And then, uh, you know, I went back to construction and eventually my parents kicked me out of the house and I living on my own. And it took me till about, you know, 23, 24 years old to, to go back to junior college and start taking some courses in a careers class that opened my eyes to, to broadcast journalism. And from that point on, I was very motivated and had found what I really wanted to do. And so over the next couple of years, I got my AA degree and then my BA degree and anchored the college newscast and Work part-time shooting city council meetings was probably the most boring thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, and eventually I got my first job reporting down in Columbia, South Carolina. And that story is also one of my favorites in the book because uh, arriving at that station in Columbia, which was not a high-priced operation on any level. I mean, it was bare bones. And I had to do everything myself, but it was a great training ground. you know. And, that, and that's, um, that's what I think made me a better journalist is learning how to do everything, including picking up a camera and, and shooting my own interviews. What was your specialty that made you stand out initially? Um, you know, I think I'm a, a very good storyteller. Uh, and I'm, I don't know, focused. I'm, I'm a people person. So I, I was good at interviewing people, good at getting good sound bites, good at putting a story together, um, knowing like what the most important elements of it were, how to, how to start, how to finish, how to make it interesting and relatable to viewers, and how to keep it real. And that was what I tried to do my entire career was be as real as possible, tell what was really happening, be honest with viewers, not put on airs, not put on a fake voice when I was doing my reports, just 
connecting. That was my strength was connecting, I think, with viewers. And a lot of people don't realize, too, I think when you get in the entertainment business and you go on this journey, you know, you have a I think you question yourself personally because it's identity driven business. When did you hit stride and gain confidence uh, in what you were doing to really know this is going to be a long, a long run for you? Did you did you recognize that? Because. When you cross over and get um, into that business and start making money, I think, I think there's a difference than trying to want to make money. Yeah, uh, I think it was probably when I got to Miami and started reporting down there for WSVN7. And at some point, I just found my groove. It was probably after two years where I got really comfortable going live. Going live initially is terrifying. Uh, you're in front of a camera, in front of thousands if not millions of viewers, and the, the lights are on and the camera's on and you're live and you have to perform. You have to tell your story without stumbling and screwing up. And, you know, the nerves, finding a way to calm the nerves was, was a real challenge. And it was really difficult for me at first. But at some point doing, you know, five or six live shots every day for that station, which was very aggressive and had news all day long, I just, I got comfortable with it. And once I got comfortable with it, then I was off and running. And, you know, I, I had these reporter notebooks and I would just, I would write out a script in, in 10 minutes for a, for a package. And we would edit that package in the, in the microwave van. And then I'd go out and, and I'd do an introduction and we'd run the package and I'd do a tag, or we would just go live and share some of the video that we had just shot. But I just, I don't know. I, I just, at some point I turned a corner and I got good at it. And the other thing, John, is that I saved almost all of my reporter notebooks from my career. And that's how I was able to write this book because, you know, I got some holes in my memory. I'm 63 years old. So, you know, I don't I don't remember everything that happened, mm -hmm. but but I had all these notebooks and the notebooks were from all of these big stories that I covered. And I had boxes and boxes of them. So when I retired from Fox News Channel, I guess it's almost a year and a half, almost two years now ago, I just went through all these notebooks and separated them into categories like terror attacks, hurricanes, Afghanistan, Iraq, Israel, and it just, you know, divided them up and then started going through them. And I found stuff in there that I had forgotten that I did, you know, because I did, like I said, almost 35 years of reporting, thousands and thousands of stories. But in each notebook, I would have observations, interviews, almost like a, a diary in some cases of what I was experiencing, and then live shots scripted out. And I was able to use those to uh, help bring color and, and texture to uh, some of these adventures that I've experienced. Now, now currently, what's, what's family life like? Kids, wife, what's, what's uh, going well, on in California currently I, uh, in your my, life? My, I, have two I have two daughters. I, I have two grown daughters. They live back in New York. Uh, I have a stepdaughter now. She just turned, well, she's 16, going on 17. She got a driver's license. And I live with, with my wife and my stepdaughter here in Newport Beach, California. She goes to modern day high school. And Kelly and I, my wife, she uh, we, we do podcasts every day. We do the Rick and Kelly show every week on Patreon.com, which is a subscription-based platform uh, where we can be completely uncensored, uncensored and unfiltered. But we do a show every day on YouTube called The Daily Smash. And Kelly, my wife, she was a former Real Housewife of Orange County. She's she's beautiful and smart and really funny. And we just tell stories about our lives. So every day we're shooting podcasts, we're shooting little video clips of, of our adventures around town. We bought and got renovated a house out in Palm Desert, California, which is near Palm Springs. And we went back and forth every week for the last year working on it and getting it ready. And we were just there yesterday. And so we, we include stories from Palm Desert and from our, our home remodel. And we're doing our shows and, you know, I wrote the book and uh, we have a pickleball line because we built a pickleball court in the backyard of our house in Palm Desert. And so we just launched a, 
pickleball line paddles and balls uh it's pickleball pickleballpartytown.store is the website for that and we got some uh pink pickleballs okay. that we're selling john so uh if you if you're interested in the sport it's the fastest growing sport in america uh we we love it and uh we we, we made some really good cool products that we hope people will check out well it's um you know looking back at your career you know what would you like to accomplish you know, with the book, I mean, could it be a film, you know, could we make a, a film about your, your story? I mean, what's, what is your, your goals in the next two, three years? I do think that there are some, there are some scripts in here. There's, there's a, there's a mini series or a, uh, a couple of, of feature films in here. I do think so. Uh, the story of the Minneapolis bridge collapse, for example, I think would make an incredible film and the stuff that happened behind the scenes that people never heard about. There's a story in this book about what happened underneath the surface of the river in Minneapolis that has never been told before publicly. And that's in the book. And I think that would make an incredible film. Just the chase and hurricanes and some of the other adventures in there going to war. It would be awesome if, if somebody wanted to, to do that. Uh, and I'd obviously be willing to write the screenplay because I lived it. But I, I'm really, I'm mm -hmm. happy with what I'm doing. I'm happy. I'm, I love doing shows with my wife every day. Uh, if there was a network that came calling and wanted me to anchor the news, I'd do it. But, you know, I don't want to get rained on anymore. I, I did enough of that. So, you know, after 35 years in the mm -hmm. field, I'm ready to sit behind an anchor desk somewhere. And maybe I, maybe I'll go back to doing the news at some point. But right now I'm really enjoying mm -hmm. this respite. I'm really enjoying this semi-retirement. And I'm actually working harder than I ever did with all the stuff we have going on. There's very mm -hmm. rarely a, a slow day uh, in our house. Nice, nice. Well, I haven't been back to California in a couple of years now. How is it out there right now with everything settled in? Is life back to normal? Everybody's all good out there on the uh, West Coast? One of the things I loved about living here in Newport Beach, I was in New York City for 25 years. And when I met Kelly, uh, mm -hmm. I was bound and determined to get to California because, you know, her daughter is 16 in high school. She couldn't move east. So I moved west. It's a beautiful place to be. I love the palm trees. I love the sunshine. And I'm very, very happy here in, in Newport. Um, that said, when, when Jolie, uh, my stepdaughter, graduates high school, uh, we could wind up almost anywhere. Have you ever been to Charleston, South Carolina? Obviously, being in Columbia, you probably spent some time in Charleston. Uh, yeah, Charleston was where uh, probably one of the most frightening experiences of my career was in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, covering Hurricane Hugo in 1989. Uh, and that's uh, one of the stories in Chasing Catastrophe is is uh, is being in that storm, experiencing a hurricane for the first time and praying, praying that I wouldn't be killed as I hugged a brick wall at the hotel trying to make my way around and back to my room in 120 to 130 mile an hour winds. It was absolutely frightening. And I sort of broke it down minute by minute. Nice. I love South Carolina. Charleston is a beautiful city. And, uh, and I was just back there a couple of years ago, actually, for a couple of nights. If you like hearing about storms and, and, and wars and, and what behind the scenes uh, look like for a reporter, I think uh, Chasing Catastrophe is going to be a, a great read. And where do we find that book and, you know, what's your, your oh. email, you know, your URL and so forth. Well, Chasing Catastrophe is available on Amazon.com, also BarnesandNoble.com. You can find the Rick and Kelly Show on Patreon.com and also on YouTube. We have our own Rick and Kelly Show channel, and we do a show every day called The Daily Smash. Uh, so the Rick and Kelly Show is the name of our channel on YouTube, and it's the name of our show on Patreon.com. Check out Chasing Catastrophe by journalist and author Rick Leventhal calling in from California, and my name's John Edmonds Cosma. I'm the CEO of Bang Productions. Thank you, Rick. Mm -hmm. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.